It's like you do know you can because you're a producer. Welcome to Affected By, a weekly podcast that explores the way COVID-19 is affecting our professional lives, how we cope, pivot, and make it work at work. I'm Tamara. And I'm Pavel. And we are live event producers who, like millions of others in our industry, have been impacted by the current pandemic. So we decided to make the most of our downtime and talk to people from different industries to find out how they are transforming their work experience, finding inspiration, and figuring out how to keep working and stay sane in the process. Welcome to our very first episode. We are so excited to be here. Yes, we're very excited to share this episode with you. And this week's conversation hits very close to home because we are talking to some of our colleagues in the live event industry, which is, of course, the industry we work in. And it's one that employs millions of people all over the world that make live events from concerts to movie premieres to corporate conferences happen. And as you can probably imagine, this takes months of pre-production and an army of people led by one and usually many producers, depending on the size and scope of the event. And we just wanted to give you a tiny bit of context since many people, including my own mother, <laughs> are not sure what a producer does exactly. Yeah, I've, I've ran into that same problem. And um, for some reason, my explanations haven't really been that great thus far. So I've actually prepared for today okay. and <laughs> I'm luck. attempting. Yes, I'm attempting a definition and it here goes. In short, producers help make all of what you see and experience during an event happen. So that goes from initial client meetings to conception and budgeting to hiring crews, creating schedules and cue sheets. Uh, they support the creation of the look and feel and are all around problem solvers to ensure that the client's vision is fully realized. And on or under budget. Right. The most important thing. <laughs> and if you want a very specific and recent example of what an event looks like without a producer, just check out one of the Firefest documentaries and that tells you everything you never wanted to know about how to not produce an event. No shade. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I am very excited for y'all to hear Pavel's interview with these amazing producers, none of whom were anywhere near the Fire Festival. And I'll be back after the interview and we'll chat then. Exactly. And uh, while we're both freelance producers, uh, today's guests are full-time employees. We'll hear uh, production manager Johnny Camacho, who works for a boutique agency in California, senior conference and events manager at a large event company, Melanie Holman, and the co-founder and CEO of Tech, Jeremy Muir. And Jeremy is kicking us off with his story about where he was when the pandemic hit. Yeah, normally before this, when you're in this industry, you, you kind of you, you kind of get your set time periods. And for us, beginning of the year, that's ramp up. We're you know we're getting through the holidays. We've got a few. We know we have some shows on the books. We kind of know what's going to happen in your calendar, and you're preparing for those. You're doing all that pre-production work to get ready for those events. And we were just getting done with the pre-production, getting ready to set up the live event, and then we had you know three or four others that were on the books, getting ready that you know we had teams starting to work on. And move forward so the beginning of the year seemed like business as usual it seemed like it was going to be an outstanding year from from all aspects of what everything looked like and then it just came to that grinding halt all of a sudden with travel restrictions and uh, it was kind of interesting for us because like i say we were right in the middle of of an event or beginning an event right in the, the last uh planning stages right when it happened to kind of see all those dominoes fall at once it was kind of a unique position uh, perspective there for for us to kind of check that out so we were Honestly, in the unique position, we were already out of town um, with the client when all of this kind of went down and making decisions with them, which kind of helped us to kind of figure out next steps. But um, for, for just that part, right when it started, we were on site. And, and mm -hmm. basically what had happened was um, we were doing a conference with mm -hmm. a client and, and the client wanted to continue with the, with the conference if possible. Well, I mean, at first, if you guys remember, if we can all go back in the go back machine, when it was first starting, it was really hard to tell how involved this was and how dangerous it was, or what what the you know what the effects were going to be. Um, and so the reason that we ended up canceling the show wasn't because we thought that we had to cancel the show or needed to cancel at least at that point in time. It was that there were sponsors involved in the show that started putting travel restrictions on their employees, and and so 
our attendee base went down and our sponsor base went down because they could no longer attend. So it became to a point where it's what kind of show do we even have left? What can we have if we don't have all of the speakers that can speak it in all of the sessions? We don't have the sponsors on the expo floor. What, what are we really producing here? So it really took a conversation with the client and we you know, came together and we decided, yeah, it's probably for the best if we cancel this now mm -hmm. before it's too late. But um, we were we were already loading and I had trucks in the dock at the San Jose Convention Center wow. beginning to stationed ready to unload right when we, uh, we canceled it. So that was basically your little uh, wow moment, your oh my god moment. This is this is happening. Um, sponsors pulling out. Yeah, it, it it was like immediately the night before we were thought we were we were all in the mindset that we were going to be loading in a show the next right. day. You know, we were. It was just things on the news at that point. It was just the conversation happening. It was something that was happening in in China. You know, from from our perspective to the very next morning having that meeting and realizing now yeah. this is for real and here it is and, and it's and it's affecting right. and it us. became real for you so johnny um mm -hmm. did you have a moment where this became real for you when you felt the impact of what was going on what's well, it's funny because like to tweak it back on what jeremy was saying like we and i don't know when this was for you jeremy in terms of the calendar but you know because we had the same thing we had a bunch of other things on the calendar some mm -hmm. of which were um domestic where it got real was and an, um was e3 uh, because that's a show that's not till june and it's a big show and it and it wasn't the and i guess the reason that it felt like more had more weight was because it wasn't canceled by our client that was canceled by the esa uh, on that note johnny if you could just quickly say what the esa is oh, i'm sorry the esa is the governing board that um that, that basically manages the E3 conference. So they're the people that secure the spaces like the convention center, they're selling the spaces to all the vendors. Um, and they're, you know, they're kind of the, they set the calendar. Um, so they, they, they kind of work as the, uh, the liaison for um, the big three, the big three in E3 is Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft. So that's when it was more real was when that show kind of in a more, in a more, uh, global sense was canceled for everybody, not just our particular client. Yeah, the same thing happened with Mobile World Congress too. That was like yeah. one of those turning points when yeah. the international shows started canceling. It was like, yeah. wow, what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. And we would we were we were seeing those because we we saw some of the international shows canceling. And it was funny because even that felt okay, well that's mm -hmm. international because we know what's happening in Italy, we know what's yep. happening in that part of the world. So when we got the the word, it was like, wait, what? This and but then the reasoning that it was um, the whole thing was kind of because it's such a big thing for the city of Los Angeles, just in, you know as yeah. as a citywide. That's where it felt okay. This is there's some bigger you know this is going to be a uh, a bigger delay for this industry. Yeah, yeah, and I remember that was the same feeling when uh, they announced South by Southwest was yeah. canceling. Like it was that kind of like wow for that show to cancel. This is this is huge. Yeah. So so what I'm yeah. hearing is initially it went from the more personal experience about just you doing your jobs, either loading in or, or preparing to be on site and sponsors pulling out travel restrictions being in place. So the actual event not taking place to then understanding about something that is bigger. So, Melanie, mm -hmm. did you have a similar experience? Um, yeah, mine was kind of a slow burn because there were things that I was seeing and I was experiencing um, and conversations that I was a part of and I was about three weeks from loading in a show. So you're talking the top of March and I'm, you know, going on pitches and doing my thing and getting ready to load in and um, then the meetings started showing up on my calendar. Um, and it was more of a risk. These are all risk mitigation calls, right? Um, what does this look like financially if we decide to, right? A series of things can happen um, after this point. Um, you know, one of my clients said something that still sticks with me is nobody wants to be the first one, right? Nobody wants to make a rash decision, um, but people also don't want to be the one that someone gets sick at their conference. Um, and then, you know, we move into, we start seeing these cancellations happen and we um, decide to cancel. Um, and so we're at the show that's at the end of March, the beginning of, of May. And it didn't become real for me 
because I feel like I knew it was going to happen until we started negotiating it out of our contracts and how easy it was to, um, there was no fight. And I, I, and I live for the fight. I'm, I'm, I'm always ready to, um, to negotiate and, and, you know, go through that process. So I was ready. I had all my, I had all my force majeures reviewed and all that good stuff. And, um, they were like, we're good. You don't know, (laughs) you don't know us anything. And that's when I knew that the landslide was coming. Um, because this was a, it, it was a reaction from a national sales rep, um, that just sounded defeated. Like this was probably the 13th conversation he had that day. Right. And so that for me was very telling. Um, and then it all kind of came crumbling down because as we all know, it happened very fast. It, I don't think it's so much that it happened. It's the speed in which it happened, which is really jarring. And yeah, also what you said, the the acceptance, um, you prepared for intense negotiations, but everybody was so aware and kind of on that same level that, um, that yes, there is no other way to cancel it. Yeah. Uh, let's get a little bit into... Uh, what happened as the cancellations kept rolling in and um, uh, stay-at-home orders were in place. So were there any obstacles that you faced with this new work environment and your new work situations? Yeah, I think that, um, and they and they all looked different and they happened in different phases, right? So um, phase one was, oh, wow, what are we all going to do? Let's find all of these wonderful projects that we can do to keep ourselves busy because this won't be going on for much longer, right? And our kids are home and we're homeschooling, but it's fine because we don't have that much to do anyway. And then, you know, phase two is when the financials start to really affect everybody, right? And you're looking at um, layoffs and you're looking at what I keep referring to as the great pivot, which is virtual events. And our clients are banging down the door and they're banging it down quickly because they want to replenish what they've lost in a digital space, right? Um, and then the layoffs happen or the furloughs happen and you have to fulfill the digital and virtual ask for your existing clients with limited resources, possibly a pay cut. You know, you're working more hours because you're trying to compensate for the fact that people keep telling you it's just like it's a different venue, but it's online and it's not. <laughs> it is. It's a very different workspace The stuff you can get away with in a live space that you just the flexibility is not there in a virtual space. Um, so it's those were the immediate obstacles. And again, I keep going back to it's not um, so much what has happened and that we're producers we're flexible right by by nature we just find the solution and we're flexible it's the speed again in which that flexibility was asked i think of a lot of a lot of folks who have kind of shifted like myself into this into this virtual space and uh, when you say the flexibility was not really there to shift it to the virtual space um what do you mean by that um i think it's i think people have this um this concept that well you just go online and you just do it and it's great and it's this really great house and it's no different than if you walked into a venue right and it's very very different and and our digital friends and they operate differently and a lot of times our clients have been new to operating in this space because they've been in a live space for so long so they don't really know what they're doing you're trying to apply your knowledge as a producer and your flexibility as a producer to be able to say, okay, we can all do this. This is great. And then you get in the room with your digital friends and you're like, oh, this is not it. (laughs) You have to do several iterations of trying to restart the bus every single time. You know, having gone through a couple of these now, I've learned a lot. My clients have learned a lot. It's a way to educate them, but the process, the shift has been painful. Um, But it's created new allies, I would say. That's so true because I think the the funny thing is that trying to educate because it, we found that too. Like you, you're happy to, to the client thinks, okay, well, it's digital. It's going to be very 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 easy to translate mm-hmm. this. But there's a lot of factors, and you want to you know give them the you know kind of educate them and then what 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 you can really do and mm-hmm. and how you can do that in the space. And then the other thing I don't know if you found this is that the stay-at-home orders were still in place. Yes. So getting crews together mm-hmm. and having and even getting people in studio, studios were closing down. Yep. Like we went from uh, 
let's look at sound stages. Let's, you know, let's try to find sound. And as things start to close, you know, then you you have to kind of pivot. Like, what what can we do? What's the reality? Yeah, speaker kits, man. Yeah. Speaker kits yeah. are the became the bane of my existence. Uh, putting together yeah. an appropriate speaker kit, shipping them all over the country. Um, if there were international needs and international speakers having to pay attention to shipping policies, and something might not get to Brazil as fast as it once did, you oh, know. Yeah. So there, yeah. there's so many different challenges. Um, mm, and if you could just quickly explain um, what a speaker kit is. Um, a speaker kit is typically a pelican case or a case of some kind that has a microphone, um, it has a camera, some kind of light ring, um, but it basically just has equipment and instructions on how to record a session at mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, you know, I always say like, oh, it's not my first rodeo. It was my first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, it's been, it's been really challenging. I've learned so many lessons about those kinds of things, just the little teeny pieces, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the, the irony is that as we're learning these things, like the the events we did in March, April, maybe look different than the ones we do in August, mm -hmm. you know, September, August, because as things are lifting and things are, are, are getting a little kind of looser, then, you know, you do open up more flexibility. But then it's funny that you say our digital friends because mm -hmm. you have to find these partners because it's you have to find look the transitions to get into these things the the the, the landscape that you're working with it's different every time different every time and then you know we're, we're not just going to go into the venue that we had booked and then you know and just stick a camera there it's just, it's not going to translate to what you want so it's, I think we're probably all I don't know if you had this Jeremy as well but I'm sure we all have these same kind of conversations where we're trying to you know we can make the pivot, but we went through a lot of iterations on different programs. So, okay, I love that word pivot because everybody uses it, but it's different for everybody. of like what they had in their mind and what we can achieve given that the actual space and time that you were working on that. Yeah, I mean, for us, I think it was it was slightly different in in that we have um, we had a whole team in house kind of working on this stuff, anyways. So it was kind of a natural progression for us to start moving into virtual. I think the, the the more difficult thing for us was really the unknowing of how long and to what severity. So mm -hmm. remember at first it was like, you know, just like Melanie was saying, you know, do we just need to get through this. We're doing some homeschooling. Hey, spring break was coming up anyway. So it's just like an extended spring break. Here's what we're doing. And you're not, not really understanding how long this may prolong for. And so how much you've got to set yourself up. Mm -hmm. I know we originally, when that first show kind of canceled and we were, we were pivoting over to virtual, um, I got my teams together. We did like a, an all hands and I focused them all. Like we need to start thinking, you know, just push some more effort into this virtual piece we've been working on. Let's get, get into that and have the teams kind of run loose with it while we're, cause I, cause I told them even then I was expecting that there would be more uh, physical shows that would be at least cutting back if not dying entirely. But at, even at that point, I figured, some of the mainstays would still be going on. You know, some of the larger shows I've done, like South by Southwest, that was really, that one really took me by surprise because mm -hmm. how can that, how can that entity even survive without doing that show? You know, and how are they not <laughs> gonna be able to have the, the sponsorship dollars to make that move forward? So that kind of thing, I, I really hadn't even contemplated yet, but at least for our clients, I was thinking, hey, look, we've already got some stuff in the virtual side, let's move forward with that. But I, but I think what the bigger thing was the not knowing how long you needed to extend it out it was hard for me to even ask of our people to do some of these things when they're not in a normal environment. And, and when I say that, I mean, I've got, I've got people where it's both the husband and wife that work for us. Right. They have kids and now the kids aren't in school and they're homeschooled. So I can't yeah. have both of those people come in to work or go anywhere or, in, or, or at one time, both of them work on the same conference call. Somebody's, somebody's going to manage, have to manage the, the kids or whatever they're doing or, or be teaching them. It's not like, it's business as usual. Just we're just at home. It's right. now you're in an that's environment that's word, not conducive to work, right? Yeah. It's, there's all these other things pulling at you, and some people may not have the greatest home setup in the first place. So it's it's. Yeah. So I think those are some of the bigger challenges that we really weren't prepared for at all, like and how to deal with that, and how to transition through that, and how to work with just even our own staff on how to who can who can do this. And so we started like, let's take turns. Hey, can you do a Monday? Can you do a Tuesday? Can you do a Wednesday? And start figuring those things out and really started working as a team we've kind of 
we've kind of think I've uh, hit a good kind of rhythm now, but it's still like right now we don't know, like there's no summer camps this summer, you know, like mm. right, to put your kids in, you know, so even, even schools we know there's definitely nothing this year, so we can plan for that. But what do you do? How do you, how do you make it through this? How do you still earn a living mm-hmm. and right. yet have to right. do everything from home with your whole family at home? Yeah. You know, and, and those are, I think, are some of the challenges that we're trying to figure out. Um, and then there's the ever-changing situation, you know, stay-at-home orders may be lifted or enforced or, you know, um, the uncertainty of that. But Melanie also mentioned that there was some downsizing going on in your company or a reorganization mm-hmm. of the team. Mm-hmm. Did you have a similar um, experience in your company, Jeremy? Yeah, we, I mean, I think, I think probably across the board, the industry, I, you know, we, I want to say we did, you know, the least amount possible to try to make it palatable. Again, we've got people where the entire family works for us. If, if, if they lose a job, there's no income coming in for that family. Mm. So when this first hit, I got, you know, I got our finance team department and said, Hey, let's, let's plan for the worst. Let's say there's nothing else coming in for the rest of the year. What do we have? You know, show me the roadmap where, where does this go? And obviously it's not a pretty picture when you start thinking about things that way, you know, there you, all companies have overhead. Um, luckily for us, it wasn't as extreme as some other people I've seen in the business. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of heavy leases. We weren't really over leveraged on, on loans or anything like that but there's still just the payroll cost alone can be enormous, you know? And so we did do, um, initially we did it. We did a, 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 a small cut on, on actual number of employees and um, it was less than 10%. I think we ended up furloughing and then we did a, an across the board 10% cut on salary. And w- by working with the finance team with that, we figured that could give us a runway into the June timeframe. And at that point we mm-hmm. were thinking, because again, you gotta remember in the beginning when all this was happening, we didn't know what was gonna happen next week. And right. all of you, and if you remember those initial models that were coming out on the news, I don't even watch the news anymore, but when they were first coming out, it was like, you know, everybody's gonna get this and it's gonna be horrific. And, you know, we just need to lower this curve. Otherwise the hospitals are gonna be overrun and, and mm-hmm. you know, it's gonna be mass chaos kind of thing, right? So that initial effort was what can we do just to maintain through this? We've got to get to a point where somebody knows what's going on. Even at that point, they weren't talking about the the PPP loans or anything like that. It was just, you're kind of on your own, you know, like here's what's going on. You just can't go anywhere. Everybody's got to stay inside. And if you're not, if you're, if you're not an essential job, then you got to stop working. And that was basically it. And so it was, how long can we hold that for, you know, until we've got to do something drastic. So that's kind of what we were thinking of as a company was, how much runway do we have? How long can we do this? And, and then, and, and what kind of breathing room can we give ourselves until we have a clearer picture and actually make an educated decision instead of just reacting to, to the environment. And I think that's what we were really shooting for was just get me to a point where we have a better idea what's going on. And that was right. like the, the original month, I think was just trying to play that kind of game. Right. And especially you as, um, you know, the CEO and co-owner of that company, that is a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. resting on your shoulders, especially with, you know, a lot of um, families in your employ. So this must have been a difficult decision to arrive at. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and you, you know, your employees are one thing, right? But we've also got, you know, a family of freelancers that we've worked with for forever, you know, and what do you do when you don't have work for them either, you know, kind of thing. And so it's, that's probably the hardest thing. I mean, the rest of it, you know, it's boxes in a garage, basically, you know, for everything else. It's, you know, you've got equipment. We love what we do. We do shows. But for, for me, I love the people. I love everybody I'm hanging out with. I love that I get to do that. I, get, I love that I get to go to work and meet and hang with these guys and, you know, and, and come up with cool ideas and, and come up with cool things. And it's hard to see them get scared it's hard to see the uncertainty about what's going on and and it's hard to find that path through it i think you know you do the best you can and hopefully you make the right decisions but you got to live with it either way you know and you've got to got to hope you're making the right stuff the right decisions out yeah. yeah melanie it seems that you have a similar responsibility for your team yeah i mean it's um there are decisions that obviously happen above my pay grade and all of those wonderful things. Um, but you know, I was fortunate to have a client just come to me and say, 
you want to take it all? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, hold on, you know, because that involves a lot of virtual business, but then you feel this overwhelming responsibility to save people's jobs, which is, um, it's, it can be a little crushing in the beginning. And I've had to kind of work through some of that where I wasn't making these initial cuts. Um, but I was able to bring in a large amount of business that saved people from being furloughed, um, or brought people out of furlough even more recently, even as of an update today, I was able to bring somebody out of furlough, um, because of work. And, and, and that is, um, you, that the amount of pressure, and I'm sure Jeremy can relate to that, the, the pressure to keep it moving and to make sure that it's successful and to make sure that we're all operating at an excellent pace. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know that if you're not, um, it, the, the, the circumstances are not as they were before. These are not normal times, as Jeremy said before. It, it, it's, it can be dire for some folks, you know, who are just trying to live their normal lives and one day the rug got pulled from under them and you have this kind of golden ticket. And I want to go back to some of the fantastic solutions that you have uh, started to talk about (laughs) actually, and, and where you are at. And, um, Johnny, you're, um, you're working on some COVID-19 related, um, guidance moving forward for events, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, we've like, I think like both Melanie and Jeremy, like we've, you know, our clients have shifted, you know, how to do programs digitally and, and virtually, and, 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 you know, so we've done a lot of iterations about what that could look like and kind of creative ways to um, do, you know, more work in that field. But kind of parallel to that, the other thing that, you know, we've been working on is um, just, just the, you know, how do we, how do we go back to work, even if it's in this virtual world and still keep everybody safe? So one of the things I've been working on is just, you know, just real basic, um, you know, guidelines from when, you know, like when we do do a virtual a shoot to create content for some of these virtual shows, like what does that mean when we get, you know, small crews in? So, you know, a lot of, of, of what those rules are or that we can kind of put in place while obviously keeping in mind what the prevailing, you know, orders are in a particular location, right? Or a particular venue. But so just the real basic guidelines that we can kind of, populate to, to potential crews like when, you know, when we do get back, back to do, you know, creating content for digital shows, you know, that's more than just the kit because the kits right now, that's the, that's kind of the easiest way that we can get is send, you know, send it to people's houses. And then we're just, you know, hoping that they have a good internet connection. And, uh, you know, that's the other big thing, like, what's, who's your provider? Um, so, you know, we've been doing, uh, you know, what does that mean when, we can slowly start to, you know, bring some semblance of cruise guys. So I've been kind of working on that and then trying to do case studies and, you know, what does it mean for a show like E3 where, you know, let's just, you know, a year from now in June or a bigger show, you know, I don't know that we're going to do a lot of these big shows at the end of the year, but early next year, like if we do have to, you know, keep kind of this, these health checks and these, things in place. Like, how does that look when you have a crew of, you know, 250 coming in that morning? And so, you know, those are the little things we've been trying to kind of get ahead of and, and see if we can just have some skeleton of a, of a process and then figure out, you know, what's applicable when we get, when we, when we can actually get back to, to work. And, and how is that process for you? How are you doing this? Like, um, are you talking to local health officials or what, what, what organizations, yeah. like if you well, could walk me through that process a little. Well, it, it, it's kind of funny. Like I, I, I do kind of keep, like I, I've been doing kind of case studies. So E3, I, you know, I really keep an eye on, you know, Los Angeles, something like, um, uh, like the still we were doing in, in Vancouver. I know that'll be in Southern California next year. So I've been working with that city in terms of like what those are, but, um, you know, it, ironically, like, I, like aside from what I can find online, like I, um, we have a nurse that comes to the house every other day for my wife. So, and, you know, we have conference calls with us. So I actually talk to them, pick their brains, like, what are they doing at, at the hospitals? What are they doing at the, um, you know, in, in their world? And we just kind of cross reference. And then, this is going to sound super nerdy, but like while we were down, 
I figured, you know, what the hell, I'll, I'll get my OSHA card. So I did like a 30 hour OSHA, you know, uh, online course. And so a lot of that was covered. And so I did one with a lot of entertainment, our industry professionals, was, there were like 10 of us. So it wasn't so much like construction and, but so we covered COVID, we covered hazardous, you know, hazardous you know, elements. So that was part of that and our responsibility. So little things like that. And then uh, people send me stuff. So I'll get right. random emails with, hey, this is what we're doing in you know, New York or Connecticut. Just taking a look. If you could just explain what the OSHA card is. Oh, so this, I don't know if you guys, so they've been threatening to, to check this for years in Vegas. So in Vegas, everybody working under supervising a crew is supposed to have your OSHA, which is the Occupational Safety and Health. I I can't remember the acronym, but they handle basically if you're if you employ somebody, OSHA is that governing board. And, you know, the safety and healthy standard, health safety and health standards, they govern that. So for years, I've never seen one ever in there ever actually check your card. But for years, they've been saying in Vegas, especially if you work at the convention center, or the Sands or wherever, that you're supposed to have somebody, if you're in a supervisor role, you're supposed to have an OSHA card. But I've never seen it checked. So I was like, well, <laughs> I got the time. Why don't I just get a card? And then, so I, so I did. It was, uh, it was 30 hours. So. Right. And Jeremy, so as part of, of you venturing out into this new production world, this new normal production world, quote unquote, you mentioned that you were doing virtual studio build outs. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe other projects that you've been working on since? Yeah. So, so we're, you know, we're in the same boat. We're trying, what can you do right now? Things are not normal. Um, and like I said, we're looking at this as if, if we make zero income, where do we end up? So what that does for us is if we make anything, that's above and beyond what our what our forecasts were saying, right? So that puts us in a better position. Even a little bit helps, right? So that's kind of how we're looking at things. So what we've done is we've taken a two-prong approach. I mean, just like Melanie said, you know, things are going virtual. So we looked at, hey, right now we have skill set, we have equipment, we have time, and we have people. What can we do right now um, to get to help our clients get into virtual? So we started building out virtual um, studios. We have a lot of warehouse space, a lot of office space at, at our locations up in San Francisco and in Southern California. So we built about four virtual studios that people can stream into that we can then cut a professional show. We can add graphics. We can have multiple people come in, do panel discussions. They can do that from their home because at, the, at that point in time, we did have a few conferences, uh, one being that one that had just canceled. We're now shifting to virtual. We were helping them. So we're also exploring all the virtual platforms. Who's got what out there? What's what's the what's the better one to do? If you you know what, and and it turns out they're all depends on what you need. They're not all uh, one size fits all kind of kind of establishments. But we we really explored them all, did demos, worked through them, and then built out some virtual studios to be able to create hiring content for our clients, and then have the ability to stream that to whatever location they want, whether that's a virtual platform or one of the standard you know YouTube or Facebook Live or one of the, the standard destinations that somebody might stream to. So that was one side that we built out. Then we also went into building out an actual virtual studio itself. We've got a bunch of LED now sitting on the shelves doing nothing. So we built out a few virtual studios that now the people are getting to the point where they can leave or possibly can leave or are willing to leave a home, maybe one or two. If we can entice them to come into a virtual studio, then we can even give them a better experience and really produce a high a high-end look and feel for for their video recording. So that's one side of the business. The other side we looked at and we said, hey, we've got, we already had um, an established uh, set of software that we use to uh, um, build out our live shows. You know, and this includes registration. We have a sponsor, um, sponsor service software for our expos. We have uh, speaker management software to, for dealing with speakers. We have a meeting, meeting management software so that a sponsor, if they want to rent a room, for instance, at one of our shows, they can rent it and, it's, and it'll take the money and, 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 and put them, uh, reserve them a space and all of these things. And all of this platform works together. And we thought, well, hey, we've already got a semblance of a platform here. If we just dive into it a little deeper, we can build a virtual front end for this, for this back end that we already have. 
that I think will be really enticing because where I think things are going to go, I think now that people have had a taste of virtual, first of all, I don't think anybody's really happy with the existing platforms out there. And I mm -hmm. think you could probably check with this group here and they'd all agree with me that none of them are really where it should be. And I think a lot of that comes from, first of all, before this happened, nobody was really using these platforms. So they didn't have a lot of usage. Now, all of a sudden they're getting hammered. But the other side of it is most of them are software companies that have gotten into the events business. Right. They don't necessarily understand the events business. They don't mm -hmm. know what the client's looking for. They don't know what the sponsors are looking for. And they definitely don't know what production companies are looking for, for from these platforms. So we're kind of coming at it from the other side. We, we, we are an events company first, but we have a software back end or a, a software um, side of us that, we, that, we've, that we've entailed. So we're building out our, our virtual platform now based on that back end that we use. And the point of it being is not just to be another virtual platform to go out there and compete with virtual platforms. Our, our, the real, where ours is really gonna become powerful is when we do have a semblance of coming back from COVID. We have a single back end that's gonna be able to produce our live event and our virtual event mm -hmm. from the same location. One of the hardest things, and I think Melanie uh, alluded to this, when we took um, that, that event that we were loading in for, you have to imagine we had all of that pre-work on that event done. We were, we were ready to load in and, and, and actually execute on the show. Yeah. That did not translate to virtual. Right. It wasn't like you just plug it in and go. In fact, most of these, most of these platforms don't even have a way to ingest that kind of data. You can't even ingest like a, a simple uh, attendee list in most cases. So it was rebuilding the entire show from scratch within mm. their platform is how you have to create these things. And that's a, you know, that's a four to eight week process. Right. So what we're proposing is what if we're able to build that virtual show in tandem with the live show and you can have it basically for nothing because it costs us nothing extra to do it. We're already using the same tools with the live event. You can turn on the virtual event. You can work them together. They can interact with each other. I can have people at the live event interacting with the virtual people and vice versa. It makes your reach larger. And if something are to, were to happen, if we were if we were to have to close live events down again, your virtual show is ready to go. Right. In and in, in, in an instant. And 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 you mentioned it. So uh Melanie, you too said uh the pivot to virtual was not as seamless, obviously, and you had to do a little bit of client education. And you now a couple of weeks later, uh had a bunch of learnings that you took out of that. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see what, what your learnings were and also moving forward, uh, if this is something that you want to continue using similar to what Jeremy just said, that he wants to move forward with this new technology. Yeah, yeah I think um, the biggest learning that I had was, um, I think people have this uh, misconception that because it is digital, it needs a shorter runway. <laughs> um, and so I think that's probably overall the largest takeaway um, that I have really just tried to drive home with my individual clients. You know, in the beginning, we're talking four to six, six weeks runway, when in reality, a perfect case scenario is eight to 10, right? Mm -hmm. Because I have to package your attendee journey before I even bring it to digital for them to build it on the back end. Um, speaking in different terms, um, I Thank speak you. in terms of, of uh, <laughs> I speak in terms of uh, restaurants now to kind of simplify things, the front of the house and the back of the house, um, so that people kind of understand very plainly what I'm talking about. There's the attendee vision, and then there's everything that happens behind to make that vision real, right? So um, those are the things that we kind of start with, and I, I've seen a very complex show with lots of sessions and a complex keynote um, that is operating in a, um, a simulive, which is really just a pre-recorded session made to be look like it's a live session, right? Or like a live keynote. Um, I've seen it happen real fast and real hard and have it be really difficult. And then taking that long pause and giving, you know, I had a client today say, oh, the show isn't until September. We just wanted to get started early. And I think you could have probably heard like happy screams from the mountaintops of like, oh my gosh, it's a real live runway. So I think that's probably the largest takeaway and best practice that I have learned. Um, and as far as, you know, the hybrid model, which I think we're all going to see a lot of, um, I'm curious. I 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a heavy virtual right now, but I have clients who are talking about 2021 looking like a hybrid. Um, and I'm just curious to, to see what that model truly looks like. Um, what the attendee experiences and how they feel about it is that's really important. Um, yeah, I'm just, I have not really sat in the hybrid space, but I know that it's coming. Um, right. Yeah. So you also see that there is a change in the industry. Um, yes. That it's not so much a return back to normal, but that this will drive some sort of innovation. I think that, and, and to Jeremy's point earlier, I think everything happened so fast. And there were these, these folks that were sitting in this place where they just didn't expect the landslide, right, of business to come to them. So they weren't prepared and they're fixing these things in real time. So they're getting better and better. And I even think what we're seeing right now is not the true identifier of if it's working yet. I think it's like anything, right? It's like your first year on a show as a new client. It's like, we just knocked that one out. Now we learned all the hard lessons. Year two is the year that makes or break you, right? That, like, mm. that's not, it's never the first year because you learn yeah. all your hard lessons. And I feel like this is the first year for virtual events in a real way. Do I think as a production professional and a live event professional that this will be some kind of new normal? Absolutely not. I think people crave human connection and networking way too much. And I feel like this is, I don't want to call it a blip because I don't want to go on record calling it a blip for when it's not a blip, but I feel like it's, it's not permanent. And I think that there will be elements of it that we will use forever. And we will always know that it will be there when we need it, but I don't think it will um, replace anything from a live perspective. And Johnny, what are some elements that you think uh, will survive this and or what other lasting effects this will have on our industry, on the event industry? I mean, I mean I'm kind of I'm in agreement with both Jeremy and Melanie. In fact, I think that there is going to be some shift and some hybrid to to it in um, for the larger shows. And I think Jeremy kind of pointed out it's your reach, right? I mean, the the outreach that you can do digitally, even on a show like E3, like, you know, we you know, we'd have five, 6,000 people in an audience, but the, the reach is quite bigger when they were on the stream. So I think there's going to be some some elements that are going to be incorporated into to, to shows, especially media-specific shows. But I, I do think there wants to be a live element, an audience, and, you know, for, for, for a lot of them. It just, are those audiences scaled down? Are they as big as they were? Are they different sizes and are we making more accommodation for kind of a, a, a digital piece? So, yeah, no, it's yes, true. I'm, I'm equally as curious <laughs> to see where, where, uh, where we're going to end up. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's true. I, I mean, I, I would, I would agree that people do have that hunger for, for these, these together moments and these positive mm-hmm. experiences and these joined experiences. So, Speaking of which, um, I want to do a quick lightning round of uh, some positive things that came out of COVID-19 for you, of that work change or something that happened in your personal life. You can basically just give me one positive thing, and we're going to start with Jeremy. Well, I think outside of work, I've got to spend a lot of time with my daughter. That has been amazing. you know. And I think when we are in the motion of working and we were just doing business as usual, it seemed like a year would go by in no time at all. Cause you know, in our industry, you kind of base your time off. Oh, where were you, where were we last year when we did this show, you know, or when did I, when was the last time I saw you? How long ago was that? And you'd really kind of forget the day to day. And so being stuck at home, I would say that's one of the positive things. I've really got to spend some quality time and see her grow right before my eyes, you know, and, and kind of go through this with her. So I think that's been my positive thing outside of work. I think for work, I am really excited for the for this new future. I think some of the metrics coming out of some of these things. I know at first we were all very worried about um, virtual events, and uh, and honestly, you know, the money's not the same as doing a live event and virtual event. You have to do you know quite a few of them to start making that match up. But it does give you some interesting powers that you don't have in a live event, and um, a couple of those are um, reach. So, for instance, you know, what, like Johnny was saying. You know this this convention that we were doing up in Northern California, physically limited the sh- the size of the show to three thousand. You know that's just as much space and as much hotel rooms and you know just as much as that you could physically get in there. 
and they had over 10,000 on the on the virtual experience. So their outreach was larger, and it was a and it was larger internationally. It allows you to reach people that may not have the funds or the ability to travel to you. So you're able to experience these things together, which I think is very powerful. And it also kind of eliminates time zones and eliminates the fact that a show is only, you know, three days long, because if it's virtual, it can last a year or 10 years or forever, you know? And so I think, I think to Melanie's point, it's really at its infancy right now. And I don't think we're seeing what the right formula is yet out, out of anybody. And I think that will evolve. But I hope in the end, it's a mixture. I think it's the magic of being in person, but then also tying the people that can't be in person with you as well. Mm -hmm. And that's when the magic's really gonna happen. And that's when I think live events are gonna be a lot more impactful than they even are today. And you can string these things together and you can do some things in the magic on the virtual side. And if you can bring that into the physical side and vice versa, it's gonna make it a better experience for all attendees and for clients and for us in, in that means. Johnny, a positive thing for you. Oh God, so many. I mean, honestly, like it, it hasn't all been bad. I think the, to Jeremy's point, like family dinners, right? Like just to, mm -hmm. to be able to sit down at a table and have, it look like my 17 year old, we wouldn't see him otherwise. So that's been great. You know, we've been having to have to sit with him. Um, and I think for all of us, like this business, we all tend to move so fast. We got calls, we have to be on site. I think it has forced, at least for me personally, to, to slow down a little bit from a work perspective. The, one of the best things I've seen is the, the resilience and the camaraderie that everybody has kind of uh, shown during this time. Like everybody has been, you know, understanding of, of the circumstance and really trying to make it, make it work. Um, so, you know, it seems, seems silly, but zoom, the ability to see people's faces on, uh, on a weekly call is, is great. Um, but I'd say like the biggest thing I'm really creatively and, and for us who are just can do people all, all on this call, the fact that, look, we all do shows that we've done annually that a lot of it is, you know, rinse and repeat, right? So I think the great part is we're going to have these shows that, that are going to have a little different kind of structure, different feel to them. And, you know, just by nature, we're going to, you know, it's going to give force us to be a little more, you know, kind of problem solving and make these things work just because it is going to be a little bit new. So that's exciting. I think the creative that comes out out of a lot of this and we're seeing it kind of, you know, and stuff that we're doing. And I'm sure you all the same thing, like the creative to try to make these worlds more dynamic and the digital shows are it's really fun to see that. And then from a guy that's all logistics and how to make it work like, OK, that's great. It looks now, how do we make that work? And, that, yeah. and how do we make it work with, you know, like a live audience or, you know, in the confine of, uh, of an event? So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I think it's in, in a way it's like I think we're all like make the best of it kind of people. So, mm -hmm. you know, we wouldn't be in this industry. <laughs> otherwise. Like, it's not a long time ago. So, uh, you know, so for me, it's a lot of it's really, you know, it could things could be worse. And so, you know, try to look at it very positive if I can. And Melanie? Um, you know, I share the same sentiment as everyone else. I think I'm enjoying my long mornings with my son <laughs> and my husband and just cooking eggs and talking about life and hanging out with the dogs. And um, it's it's the family time. And, and I think it was Jeremy that said it. You often uh, measure your life and events and and this is oh well usually at this time of year I'm here and then I usually don't go anywhere from Halloween to Christmas and then you know and so I'm really glad to not be thinking about some of that quite frankly and 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 that my son doesn't have to think about that and um that's been really really great I think from a work perspective I think it's um you can teach an old dog new tricks which is probably <laughs> like the coolest part is that these things that you thought you might not be able to do and the things that not just myself, but the things that you've seen others, you know, in the beginning go, Oh my gosh, how am I going to, I don't even know. It's like, you do know you can because you're a producer and you can do anything. Literally you have done all the things you yes. can do this one too. Right. Yes. And so that's the thing that I have really loved watching, not just for myself, but for other folks professionally 
do the thing they didn't think they could do or they didn't really understand and then have them watching them overcome it I think has probably been the coolest thing because to Johnny's point we do we do these rinse and repeat things and they become just kind of dry and we keep going and we keep moving and we find these ways to push them from an innovative and creative perspective but they're really the same and so this is just taking this element of really challenging yourself which I'm not sure that you know, we all have challenges when we do these shows, but they're the same kinds of challenges, right? Um, these are, this is a brand new bag of challenges. And I think that's great for the brain. It is. What a great um, statement to go out on. So thank you all very much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having Round us. Of Round of yeah, applause. this was really fun. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, this is our first interview. We actually recorded this panel at the end of May. Um, but as of today, not much has changed in our industry, really. The limitations on mass gatherings are still in effect. And with that, the state of big live events is still very much up in the air. Yeah, that is true. Um, but at least our panelists are still very busy in their respective jobs. They're all still working. So that's great. And Johnny was recently interviewed for the two guys pod, the two guys on set podcast. So make sure you check that out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I heard that Melanie was able to take a short vacation, but she's now back to work and busier than ever on working on those virtual events. And if you want to see what Jeremy and his company Effentech have been up to, you can find them on Instagram at Effentech. And uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter as well at affectedbypod um, or you can connect with us via email at affectedbypod at gmail.com affected by one word that was very specific well I want people to find us (laughs) I do too (laughs) Um, I do too and please connect we would love to hear from you and if you like our podcast please rate, review and tell a friend or all of your friends (laughs) family and co-workers just tell everybody tell everybody Um, And to support the more than 12 million people currently unemployed in the event industry, please go to liveeventscoalition.org and get involved. Yes, get involved. Yeah, get involved. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. See you next week. No, they can hear it. You can hear us next week. (laughs) All right. Say bye, Pavel. Oh, my God. Um, Bye.